Good morning, Door Creek. If you're a guest here today, my name's Mark, one of the pastors, part of the teaching team. And let me say not only welcome, but guys, you are hearty stock here in Wisconsin. I mean, it was 22 degrees below zero as I left for our leadership training, and I was wondering, is anybody going to show up? Of course we showed up, because as they say in Arizona, it's a dry cold. (laughs) It's not bad. So um, if if we know who you are, if you're part of the communication stream here, I send out a note from time to time and sometimes a little video vlog. So did you get my vlog this week? So if you didn't get it, it's because we don't know who you are, so that communication card kind of ties the loose ends together if you're interested in that. So we talked about all these great things going on over Christmas. We talked a little bit about just this great outpouring of generosity in the month of December, which we always count on, probably the second largest month of giving. $90,000 of that went towards our partners around the city, around the country, and around the world to help out, especially kids who are in a really vulnerable place. And so we're able to do that. We caught up with our expenses. We're a little bit ahead. We're hoping to be like a little further ahead so that we are ready for those leaner months of summer. So we're about a $100,000 behind that, and I just challenged us to continue to remember that we've taken on unusual. So this is like, for those of you guests, just like tune out, right? This is for people who call Door Creek home, right? But for for us as a fan, we just got to remember we took on a a lot this year because we didn't plan to have a new campus and a new building happen in the same year, but as the way these projects times, that's what happened. So we had a big increase, and we've been giving generously towards that, but we need to continue to do that. And thanks to those of you who regularly do that. To those of you who haven't started that joy, joyous uh, journey of giving back to God and trusting him as we give, because it's kind of counterintuitive when you go, man, I'm not sure how I'm going to pay my bills. How can I give anything to God? That's the journey of trusting God and watching how he supplies our need. It's an opportunity to show our love for God. It's never about what God needs from us. It's what he wants for us to enjoy that and to see that our giving can make an eternal difference. So we've got this little metaphor of a ladder. We call it the ladder of generosity that helps us kind of understand where we're at in this whole journey of generosity and what the next step could look like. And so at the bottom rung is a first-time giver. For some of us, that's like a logical place to start. But we hope you become an intentional giver. That's the next step. We're giving back to God's work is a regular part of our budget. And then it goes to a tithe, which is a tenth. And that's what the leadership of our church commit themselves to, giving a tenth of our earnings back to God. And then extravagant givers beyond that. And so here's what I can tell you. You can't outgive God. And here's what I can tell you is your giving continues to make a difference in people's lives. So let me give you three examples. The first is from an email I just got on Friday. And this has to do with the Door of Hope gala that we had back in the fall. And the Door of Hope is this ministry center that that's actually where the Northside Madison campus is meeting right now. They're by Boomerangs and Northgate Mall. And this nonprofit that we started called Door of Hope, is its purpose is to help kids and families thrive. So we introduced people from the community, not part of the church, to Door Creek and to what we're doing on the north side. We had a great auction. I met this woman. She sent me an email yesterday. Hi, Mark. My son, PJ, and I met you at the Door Creek Gala recently. We both enjoyed it so much. PJ has made a small donation since. I remember that. 
Somebody turned in a $20 bill and it said from PJ, from lawn mowing money for Door of Hope. It was like so cool. PJ also bid on some auction items. There was like some silent things that he could probably afford. And then I told him to keep your hand down because there was some big kahuna things that she didn't want him bidding on anyways. So they end up getting one of those, which is cool. And since the auction, here's what she says. PJ, 11 years old, I remind you, has decided to start his own fishing boat foundation. He'd like to earn enough money by doing jobs for neighbors to buy his own fishing boat and take at-risk youth and underprivileged kids out on first-time fishing experiences. Wow, see what good God does. 11 years old. Isn't that awesome? So it gets better. So after church, just had this heavy conversation uh, message on depression, which is our next roadblock. And so there's this guy waiting for me, and I think he's going to talk to me about his dark night of the soul. But he comes up to me instead. He says, I got a fishing boat. I, my, my father-in-law just died. I, I don't need it. I was planning to just sell it, and PJ can have my fishing boat. Isn't that great? <laughs> so last service, two people... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> got this email a while back, and it's a great email. It goes like this. It's long overdue. Finally felt compelled to write to encourage you. My wife and I first came to Door Creek through the invitation of a friend, Easter 2016, where we heard Pastor R.D., for those of you who are new, one of our pastors, great preacher, was preaching. We can still remember that sermon and that morning because starting with that sermon and then through continuing to attend for the next few months, we became Christians. We'd never heard the Bible preached in a way it was being preached because we grew up in agnostic homes and had little exposure to the church. We've been loving, uh, we moved from Madison to Chicago that winter and then the Lord provided an opportunity for us to move back to Madison this past October, and we, we jumped at it at once. We've been loving Romans and the warmth and grace of the people here at Door Creek as we continue to grow in our marriage and our faith. We hope to get baptized next time around and get more involved moving into 2019, but simply wanted to say to you at long last and let you know the eternal impact Door Creek has had on our lives and how the gospel has changed our lives. I honestly don't know where we would be without Door Creek Church. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah. It was really important that we started with some really good news because our roadblock, as I just mentioned, is depression. This is a heavy thing. And if you don't think it is, it's because you've never been there. But it's hard, and if you're there right now, it's just a big deal that you made it here this morning. And God love you for that. As we talk about depression, we understand there's a lot of reasons. One of the things we understand is we live in a fallen world. Jesus says, in this world, John 16, 33, you're going to have trouble. It's not going to be tiptoeing through the tulips. You're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. I'm bigger than the troubles that you're going to face. In a broken world, people will hurt us deeply. In a broken world, our bodies break down. We could have chemical imbalances. In a broken world, tragedy can strike like lightning out of a blue sky. In a broken world, death comes unannounced. Violence breaks in. Injustice keeps going on and on. And there's so much more that can crush our spirits for a short time or for a long time. For some of us, it's been something we've been battling for most of our lives. Here's just a sample of stories across my path this week. On Friday afternoon, I was gathered with Everlyn and her family and friends, all of them Africans. 
And it was a cold little chapel right here in Cottage Grove where Evelyn and her family and friends stood there as we were about to bury her husband, Alan, who was tragically killed when he was down in Texas, ran out of gas, driving to see some relatives with his brother at 6 o'clock in the morning, called 911. They said, this is not an emergency. So he tells his brother, I'm just going to walk and go get some gas. 6 o'clock in the morning, he never came back. A semi hit him, and, and his life was, was over. That next day was supposed to be this joyous celebration where he and his family are going to be flying back and family were to gather for this baby shower and it was a house of mourning. And so, I mean, it's this surreal kind of mix of all, all these Africans in this frozen tundra and this pregnant, beautiful woman who is just sobbing over the ashes of her husband and she goes up with her two-year-old and is trying to tell her little two-year-old that this is daddy. And we go, oh, of course, of course, that could bring you into a great, great despair. I think of my friend Marcus who calls me and says, man, that, guy, that job that I had was going good and they offered me another job and so I took the other job that had more pay and then that whole job and that whole thing shut down like in three weeks and so I went to get my old job back and said, sorry. And so I got five kids and I've got the eviction notice and I don't know if we're gonna have a roof over our head. And this isn't the first time. A sweet young mom just lost her baby. A friend's friend, new Christian, falsely accused, sitting in Dane County Jail this week. A friend's brother's cancer is likely coming back. Another friend wondering if he can keep his business going to support his family, having just gone through a hard divorce. Continued health issues weighing heavy on families' hearts for those they love. Friends whose marriage is our crumbling, broken, not getting better, going through divorce. And we got friends like this, maybe that's you, or that seasonal affective disorder. It's just winter, and it's just hard. And, and on and on, the list could go, right? You lost another job. You got rejected by another friend. You're going through that divorce. Had a, another creditor harass you. Got the news that actually it's cancer. You're reeling from the loss of a loved one. And then for some of us, we're, we're actually not even sure why we're so sad. And one of the things that I hope happens in this message is it just sensitizes us to just the pain of depression and the complexity of it, that we would be better friends and family members to those who struggle. Here's how one friend described their battle. It feels like I'm under attack. It feels like I am unbalanced. Like my blood isn't right. I have extreme anxiety with the depression. So I rock my body for no reasons. I feel like my skin is electric and I don't want to be touched. I wake up like I'm on fire. I don't want to do any of the things that I normally want to do. I don't want to leave the house or see people. I don't recognize myself. No amount of reasoning with myself can take away the thoughts. I fixate on dark and horrible thoughts and cannot make myself think of anything else. And the National Alliance on Mental Health tells us that 16 million Americans, adults, last year, almost 7% of the population had at least one major depressive episode. Women, 70% more likely than men. If you're in the age group from 18 to 25, 60% more likely to have depression than people over 50. 
And just like with any other mental illness, people with depression experiences, experience symptoms differently. But for most people, depression changes how they function day to day. Here's some of the common depressions from the National Institute of Mental Health. Persistent sadness, anxiousness, emptiness, feelings of hopelessness, pessimism, feelings of guilt, worthlessness, helplessness, loss of interest or pleasure in hobbies or activities, decreased energy, fatigue, being slowed down, difficulty concentrating, making decisions, difficulty sleeping, appetite and or unwanted weight changes, thoughts of death or suicide, suicide attempts, restlessness, irritability, persistent physical symptoms such as muscle pain or headaches. Most of the experts say not a single cause. These things are complex. A lot of different things going on. The scientists, as, as they think about the factors, here's how they're going to get it down to a couple. They'll go trauma, including loss. Genetics, the stuff can run in families. Other medical conditions, there's like a long list of different illnesses, medical condition, that one of the accompanying symptoms and realities is depression. Drug and alcohol abuse. 30% of people with substance abuse have depression. Then you get in the Bible. And the Bible adds to the list of causes, letting us know it's not just physical things. There's also spiritual reasons. But just consider some of the people in the Bible. Job, his depression where he doesn't want to even live and wishes he was never born, has everything to do with the loss of all his family and his own physical sufferings. Elijah you know, after his great victory on Mount Carmel over the prophets of Baal, he's in a funk, and God ministers to him as he's so depressed because wicked Queen Jezebel has put a, you know, a death threat over his life. King Saul is tormented by an evil spirit, the scripture says in 1 Samuel 16, 14. David wastes away, he said. His depression is because he kept silent about his sin with Bathsheba, adultery, Psalm 32. Jeremiah the prophet despairs over the destruction of Jerusalem, the whole book of Lamentations. Judas takes his own life, so distraught after his betraying of Jesus, overwhelmed by his guilt. Paul, his depression has to do with the hardships of ministry, constantly being under attack. And so there's so many different things that can make us depressed. Here's a disclaimer. I'm not a health professional, so my training's in Bible and theology, but I've been a pastor for a long time. And I've dealt with lots of people who've gone through these dark nights of the soul, as St. John of the Cross would call it. I myself, happy-go-lucky guy, glasses always half full, super optimistic about everything in life. I'm not a stranger to depression. I've been there. I know what it's like to have a panic attack, to deal with intense anxiety, to have some dark thoughts enter your mind and it shocks you. I get it. Probably not to the level of a lot of other people, but I'm not a stranger to it. A true confession about the church is we've often missed the boat in caring for people who are really in a hard place. And for that, I am just so sorry. In her book, Troubled Minds, Amy Simpson notes that the church has missed the boat in these ways. We've been silent about it. We just don't talk about it. I would say for most of us, I know it's the first time I've ever preached on it, we don't talk about it. That has implications. Has implications. We talk about a lot of other physical illnesses. Like if I were to say to you, like how many of you have had a broken bone? Great. 
If I say, how many of you have been clinically depressed? I'm not going there. <laughs> right? Because like, it, we don't, we, it's just so hard. I remember when our daughter got in that bad, bad car accident. She was in the trauma center. We were talking about these neurosurgeons there down at uh, North Carolina Medical Institute. Like these, really the cream of the crop. They said this about the brain. He said, we are on the first floor of a 100-story building when it comes to understanding our brain. It is so complex, but we're silent about it. And then what's worse is we stigmatize it, and the way we stigmatize it is different. So in the world, the stigmatization might be you're just kind of weak. In the churches, you're spiritually weak. So that just makes it a double whammy. It's like my friend who said, you know, people say, just, just pray more. It's like, are you kidding me? That's like, that's like all I do is pray. We deny its existence in some places saying, that, you know, real Christians don't have problems. Forgetting what Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And we're impatient. Like, get better already. Come on, buck up. Trust Christ. Move forward. So we talk about this value, compassionate service. I think it's one of our hallmarks. Humbly extending Christ's compassion to those in need. But I have failed as a leader here and talking about that value too much about how we serve the most vulnerable in community. And we are missing that that begins in the family where we humbly extend Christ's merciful compassion to people in need who are in these dark places. May we be that kind of a church. So how can we cover this subject in one message? I literally have 28 pages of notes, not manuscript, notes. Um, This could be a 10-week series. I'm convinced of that. Um, For those of you that are really in a hard place right now, it is really hard for you to hear much of what I've already said, let alone what I'm going to say. And so if you don't remember and hear anything else, this is what this message is about. When the darkness comes, turn to the light. If you're in a dark place, turn to Christ, the light of the world. Can you say it with me? When the darkness comes, what do we do? Turn to the light. That's it. Turn to the light. Christ is the light of the world that gives us hope in the darkest of times. Grab your Bible. Psalm 42 is where we're going to hang out. This beautiful passage that just helps us just walk alongside a fellow follower of God who's in one of those darkest of valleys. And what you're going to notice is Psalm 42, it's right in the middle of your Bible here, is very likely connected to Psalm 43. Two reasons. Verse 5, verse 11, and verse 5 of Psalm 43 are identical. My soul, why you're downcast, why so disturbed within me, put your hope in God for all yet praise him, my Savior, my God. You'll also notice that at the beginning of Psalm 43, there isn't like this heading, this title that you have on every other psalm in this section of the Psalms, book two. Very likely one psalm. So let's catch up with the psalmist, and and we're going to have this kind of resonance going on where you go, that's how I feel. And he's going to teach us as we walk with him through his dark valley. Here's how he starts. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? 
My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I want us to note five things, five disciplines that we can glean here as he's battling with depression. The first is this. He's honest about it. He doesn't pretend to be at a place where he's not. He's just really honest. He's in a bad place. He's downcast. He's in despair. It's this dark night of the soul, and his soul is empty and parched. He thirsts for God like a deer for the streams of water, and he's drunk with the sorrow of his bitter tears. He's honest with himself where he's at as he describes his painful situation. The second thing we notice is he turns to God rather than turns inward. Depression naturally will turn us inward. In his book, Depression, A Stubborn Darkness, Ed Welsh says this, the crossroads of depression, and I think that's an everyday crossroad, everyday decision, is to cry out to the Lord or not to cry out to the Lord, to turn to him or to turn within. That's the battle. And so when the darkness comes, we turn to the light. We cry out to God. He does that. So what we're not saying here is that all depression is all and only about spiritual matters. What we are saying is you could be clinically depressed because there's a chemical imbalance. There could be a genetic pattern that's gone on in your family for decades and and for generations. What we're saying is whether you have an illness that brings this on, whether it's been a crisis, whatever it is, you're a whole being. Body, mind, and soul. That's how God has made us. And make sure you turn to the one who gave us life, who knows us body, mind, and soul, and who can actually address every part of it. It's fine, and you should get a medical exam if you're dealing with some of the symptoms. It is wonderful to go to a godly counselor that can bring God's truth to bear as you battle into these things, but turn to God and the resources he gives us in his word and his spirit and his people. He does this. He turns to God rather than turn inward. Third, he resisted passivity. You've heard of the fight-flight response, one or the other. Actually, there's a third, freeze. Depression is a freeze kind of response. 
And what we notice, what he resists here is he's not just listening to the inner voice of his feelings that are so strong. No, actually, verse 5 is he's talking to himself. I remember the old line, it's okay to talk to yourself, just don't answer yourself. Well, I think he's talking to himself and he might be answering himself. Like, this is, come on, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. This is so important. This is so important that he's proactive, that he's engaged, that he's not just in neutral, that he's not just shut down, that he's not just in passive mode, that he isn't just in park. He's moving forward. It might be a slow crawl, but he's talking to himself, not just listening to himself. It sounds like a little thing. It's a big thing. And it's a part of that repeated phrase three times in Psalm 42 and 43. Depression is not only painful, it is debilitating. And it has the way to smother us, our whole body, mind, and soul. I say it's a lot like this nerve block that I got a week ago Friday. So I just had arthroscopic surgery on my, on my right arm. I'm doing pretty good. All right. So the doc says to me, he says, I'm going to give you a pain block. I said, that sounds good because I'm not really into pain. So if you want to give me a nerve block up here to kill the pain, that's good. He said, it could go all the way down to your fingers. I don't care. All right, give me the nerve block. He said, it's going to go anywhere from 12 hours to 36 hours. Great, I hope it's 36. <laughs> so, it was, have you, anybody had a nerve block? Oh, my word, so you know. Well, I didn't know. So, I woke up, and I wanted to say to Lori, what happened? Like, like what happened? Somebody has sewn a dead elephant's trunk <laughs> to my shoulder. <laughs> I can't feel it. I can't move anything and when I pick it up I am not I mean when I pick it up right now it feels like a pound when the nerve block it felt like 50 pounds depression is like a nerve block of your whole being and it is a paralysis and we can get so stuck in it. So we got to fight this ten tendency towards passivity to the temptation to just give up, to surrender, to wave the white flag. It's insidious. It's treacherous. Left alone, it can bury us. It's the very thing that J.K. Rowling's getting at in her Harry Potter series with the, torment, the Dementors. I almost called them Tormentors. Dementors. Remember those? Those icy, cold beings, right, that, that are wrapped in this unnatural darkness. And she was using them, she says, to kind of connect to the depression that she was in as she's coming up with this wild fantasy. That's why she wrote them in to her books. And here's what she says about them. They will feed on you. And as long, if it can, the mentor will feed on you long enough to reduce you to something like itself, soulless and evil. They're surrounded by unnatural darkness and terrible icy cold. You'll be left with nothing but the worst experience of your life, drained of peace, hope, and happiness. And so this is the roadblock. It's just in a sentence that this would, that depression would turn us inward and that it would numb us and paralyze us, taking us out of the game of life. No purpose, no joy, no hope, no energy, no peace, no connection with the people that we love and love us the most because we're just numb. And it's a fight. 
And it's a crossroad every day. So he doesn't just listen to his feelings. He becomes his teacher. He becomes his coach. He becomes his counselor. He becomes his preacher. And this is the key as we engage in this battle of depression to move out of a passive posture and begin to engage our feelings and talk to ourselves. So he turns to God and he tells himself, put your hope in God. Trust in God because this isn't the end of the story. I will yet praise God. There's more. It's not the end. It's the middle. It's hard. It's dark. It's awful. It's murky, but it's not the end of the story. And he believes that as he turns to God. So this word hope is not like we use the word hope. I hope it gets warm enough so we can go skiing this afternoon. I hope he doesn't preach those 28 pages or we'll never have lunch. We don't know. Is he? We don't know. That's how we talk about it. No, that's not how the Bible talks about hope. When the Bible talks about hope, it is this confident expectation. This is going to happen. Why? Because our hope's in God. Our hope's in God. And hope and faith are intertwined. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's a fourth thing he does. He engages his memory. This is like, how would, we, how would we know how important this is? Let me tell you this. When you're depressed, when you're going through any kind of one of these hard things that we've been talking about, fear, anger, right, hurt, depression, next week, shame, what happens is the feelings are not only strong, they're all current. They're all about today. And they're only talking about today. And they got you focused on today. Your memory engages beyond today to your past experience with God, he talks about, and the joy he had worshiping God. And he remembers that because his feelings are telling him, God's forgot you. He doesn't care. He's not worthy of worship. But your memory goes, oh, yes, he is, because I remember how he satisfied my soul and how he was the focus of my joy and my praise. I'll never forget those days. Our memory takes us back not only to our experience of God, but to the faithfulness of God in meeting us in our lives. And so he talks about in verse six, I remember God, I remember you from the land of Jordan. I remember you from the heights of Hermon, Mount Hermon. I remember you from those little hills, Mount Mitzar. And I think what he's doing there, he's, he's recalling how God delivered his people, how God was faithful to his promise. The land of Jordan, what is that? The promised land. I'm going to send you and your people there. Abraham, you're going to live in this land, flowing milk and honey. Moses, I'm going to have you lead the people out. And he delivered them out of Egypt, and he miraculously crossed the Jordan. He gave them victory over the enemies, and he was faithful to his word, and he gave them bountiful provision. He, he remembers that God gave him Mount Hermon, this beautiful mountain to the north up along the Lebanon border there. This, this is the watershed of all of Israel. It comes cascading down these mountains. It's the only source of fresh water forming the Jordan River, entering into the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to give you the source of life. The little hills of Mitzar, very likely the hills of Jerusalem. I am going to be your God that, remember, I came in and I lived with you and I'm going to set up my kingdom forever. Remember those things. There's a power to our memory that needs to be engaged when we're depressed because our feelings are going to cut us off from the past. They're going to have us focused on the present. 
but our memory takes us back to our experience with God. God is real. I remember those times. So think about this. I was talking to this beautiful young 13-year-old. I said, what are you excited about this year? She said, I'm, I'm excited to spend more time with God. I said, well, that, that is so beautiful, Krista, because you know what? It's going to be those experiences that you have with God in your teenage years that one day are going to be things that hold you strong when you don't feel like God is near anymore. He goes back to those times. And you know what? We have lands of Jordans, and we have mountains like Hermon, and we have little hills like Mitzar that we've got to go back to when God met us and God rescued us and broke into our lives and broke into the storms and worked out good through hard things. And if we cut ourselves off from those things, we're not positioned well. So isn't it interesting that the night before Jesus died, he said, in the bread and the cup. Remember what he said? Remember me. You may not have a land of Jordan. You may not know of a Mount Hermon. You may not have a Mount Mitzar, but we all who are in Christ have Calvary. We all have the cross. We all have Christ's substitutionary death that we go back to that fills us with hope. These are huge so what does it look like to place your hope in God? Because that's what he keeps telling himself. Put, place your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. What does it look like? Well, the things we've been talking. Turning to him. Taking God at his word. Obeying his commands. Believing the promises. Remembering his past faithfulness. Sets us up to believe that he's going to carry us through in this hard time right now. Taking God's word arms us against the lies that surround depression. Taking God at his word is not a casual thing. We're serious about God's word. What did Moses say? God's word is not an idle word. It's not like this little, it doesn't really matter what God's word says. It's not an idle word. God's word is our life, and it's our lifeline. You go, man, I can't even read. I get that. I can't read the Bible. Well, then, then maybe get version on your phone and just put play. You go, I can't even concentrate. All right, then make it simple. Get one verse. Have it in front of you and just keep meditating on one verse. Or take Psalm 23 and just go, or maybe it's, maybe it's gonna be one scripture for the next six weeks. Get to God's word. Take it seriously kind of a funny illustration about taking things seriously. We sent out Christmas cards to our relatives in Switzerland, and so we got a letter back from our cousins in Switzerland. They're in the French part. They don't speak English, and so their, their letter to us, you know, I've never seen a letter like this. It said, Mark and Lori Myfair, we've moved to 515 Hawthorne Court, Cottage Grove, Wisconsin. Right? We get it. Well, they don't know English, and so they just thought that was part of the address we've moved to. <laughs> What'd they do? They took my word seriously, right? How much more should we take God's word seriously? His word is our life. And so let me just say this. There are lies surrounding every major battle. Depression has lots of them. Piper, in his book, Future Grace, great line, 
Wherever despondency comes from, Satan paints it with lies. The lie says, this is it. You will never be happy again. You will never be strong again. You will never have vigor and determination again. Your life will never again be purposeful. There's no mourning after this night, no joy after weeping. All is gathering gloom, darker and darker. This is not a tunnel. It's a cave, an endless cave. Holding on to God's word, taking God at his word, arms us against the lies because God's word is truth. That's our, our second value, the Bible's authority, centering our lives on God's truth. But let me just say this. He's doing it. He's doing this very thing, taking God at his word, but it's messy. And we could paint it right now in this kind of hyped up spiritual way where we go, I can't do that because it's so messy as we're in the midst of these things. So in verse eight, he's, these declarations of faith, he's my rock, my strong place, my refuge who delivers me, right? He gives me songs in the night. He's a, you know, a prayer to the God of my life. But then he says in verse 9, why have you forgotten me? Why, why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? You know, he, he then in, in 43 verse 2 has this great declaration of faith. You are God, my stronghold. You're my refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? You see what I'm saying? It's not like this straight line where he is just full of faith. He's full of faith. He's filled with doubts. And it's a mess. And if, if, you, if you haven't been there, let me just tell you, it's messy in our own hearts. And we need to be merciful to people that are going down this road. And it's easy for us to say, come on. If you really had faith, it would always be straight and up and to the right. Friends, remember what Jesus said. In this world, you will have trouble. But I've overcome it. We'll never overcome it apart from his mercy and grace. And the fight of faith is just that. It's a fight. And the fight with depression is an everyday battle. He prays. It's part of turning. You go, I can't pray. I, I get that. Isn't it great to know that Jesus intercedes for us right now? Isn't it great to know that the Holy Spirit that God's placed within you takes the groanings? You can't pray, but you can groan, and you have, and you've sighed. And he takes the groanings of our hearts, and he brings them to the Father. Isn't it great that there are people in our acquaintances, our family and friends who pray for us? Isn't it great that we can grab the prayers of the psalmist in 42, and we can pray? Listen to his prayer in verse 2 of 43. Uh, actually, in, in verse 3, send me your light. Remember what we've been saying? When the darkness comes, what do we say? Turn to the light. What does he pray? Send me your light. And listen to this, this other part, so beautiful. And send me your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Remember, when Elijah was so depressed, God came to him with his faithful care and he spoke to him in a still, calm voice because that's all he could take. That's what he prays for, that he'd go to the altar to be with God, that he'd have joy and delight and that he would praise him with his heart and instruments, his God. Beautiful, beautiful prayers. Invite people to pray when you can't pray. So why do we put our hope in Jesus? Why should we? 
Because Jesus, the light of the world, entered the darkness. The Bible says heaven will need no sun. Why? Jesus is so radiant, he will light up the new heaven on earth forever. He is the light of the world that has brought life into this world, and he entered the darkness. And when Matthew talks about the events right before the cross, he says this the night before he was crucified. Matthew 26, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And as he sweat, as it were, drops of blood, remember what happened, he called his friends to pray with him. He took Peter and John to be with him and they fell asleep and he woke them up and said, I need you guys. And they fell asleep and they fell asleep again. When he was arrested all but Peter following at a distance and John who went with him, they all deserted him. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. And on the cross, remember what he cried? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can trust Jesus because he entered the darkness and experienced a darkness that you and I could never even imagine or never would ever be able to experience because his darkness wasn't just a darkness of his mind and soul. It was a darkness of spiritual reality where not only was the darkness covering the land from nine in the morning till three in the afternoon, but the scripture says he who knew no sin became sin. So he didn't just enter the darkness, he took on all the darkness, all the sins of humanity, all the violence, all the anger, all the injustices, all the crazy things that have brought so much pain and hurt into our lives. He took it all on himself and he paid for all of that and he conquered it through his resurrection from the dead. That's why we put our hope in him. Because he is the lover of our soul and the cross reminds us of that. And the cross reminds us that God is not distant, that he loves us, that he's good and he's generous and he's merciful and that Jesus has given us the victory, that he's our living hope. Have you done that? Have you turned to him? Maybe one of the best things that could happen through this dark time in your life is for the first time you look up and ask God for help. Turn to him. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and worn out, and I'll give you rest. Why, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you do that? Turn to Christ. If you've got questions about Christianity, exploring Christianity starts this Tuesday night. I couldn't recommend a more helpful 10-week session to let any question you have about the Bible, about God, about Jesus about what it means to be a follower of Christ in a beautiful place around a wonderful meal and great teaching and the guys get together to talk, the women get together to talk. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of all the things we have at church. In our Grow Guide, there's all kinds of resources from our care team's ministry starting on page 14, giving hope, people who in your family are going through mental illness, including depression, grief share, divorce care. We've got grieving the child that I never held, cancer support companions, care partners, a whole myriad of things that you can grab onto. And then let me just say, let's be attuned to what can help and let's be in tune with what doesn't help. And there is a big, big difference. 
Here's what Ed Welch says in some of his things, and I've added some of my own. This is very interesting. The first thing that he notes is this. The thing that most helped was I began to talk to myself rather than to listen to myself. Psalm 42, we just talked about that. Another person said, I stopped saying it doesn't work. I was always looking for the answer. I felt justified in quitting. Now I believe that it does work. There is contentment, even joy, in long-term small steps of faith and obedience. What helped? The pastor kept the bigger picture of God's kingdom in front of me. What helped? My daughter became really sick, and it forced me to look outside of myself. What helped me is a friend didn't give up. What helped me is a friend let me borrow her faith. What helped me is I forgave my dad. What helped me is I saw it was 90% pride. What helped me is I began to believe that I was in a battle and I needed to fight, move out of passivity, right? Others said what helped me is listening to Christian musics and lyrics, reading the Psalms, remembering God's faithfulness. What helped me, medication. What helped me, I began to force myself to read the scriptures. I began to understand God's grace. Once I saw that it was good to see my sin, I began to tell myself, when in doubt, repent. What helped me, I don't really know what God used. It was lots of little things. Someone else, my dog. What didn't help? This is like, remember these. What didn't help was I looked for superficial sins in my life. What didn't help is I was angry and no one tried to understand what my anger said about my relationship with God. They just said I need to do the right thing. What didn't help is the word just. Became a four-letter word. Just be more positive. Just get out more. Just exercise. Just take some vitamins. What didn't help? People telling me I had the right to be angry. That I was told to love myself more to lower my expectations, people giving answers before they even listened, people talking too much, people who were afraid to speak honestly, people who tried too hard, people who said pray more, a huge slap in the face. Church, may we be a church that humbly extends Christ's compassion to those in need, and in your dark time, may we help you turn to the light, even Jesus Christ. Let's pray. As we turn to you and every day place our hope in you, send us your light and give us your faithful care, even your spirit, the comforter, just to to bind up our broken hearts, Lord, that all of your hope and your light and your spirit's care would lead us to your son, our living hope. Protect us from lies. Protect us from ourselves. Grant us hope and faith in the better day. Remind us again of how you've met us and proven yourself faithful. Help us to believe the end of the story. And until that day, guard our hearts and minds in Jesus. And for those who don't know you, grant them faith. In your mercy, for your honor, Grant them faith today. In Christ's name we pray, amen.